Hi and hello, watch fans, and welcome to another edition of The Real Time Show with me, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, and my co-host Alan Ben-Joseph, all the way from Amsterdam. How you doing, mate? I'm doing well, and did you become a Spider-Man after doing crazy stuff on the ski slopes, or...? Yeah, yeah, I just thought I'd mix it up a little bit, see if anyone was paying attention. Also helps me to not upload the wrong episodes to Buzzsprout, because I, I don't know if anybody... Well, I know that some of our listeners noticed, because they informed me that last week I posted a duplicate episode for about 15 minutes until I was alerted to that fact and changed it, so sorry about that. But thank you for listening, and thank you for keeping me on my toes. I, uh, I'm i now a Spider-Man, because of my reaction speed. Yeah, yeah, that's funny though, and it's actually proof that people are actually listening. Well, we know, yeah, we know people are listening, thank God, but it is nice, isn't it, when people are that hot on it and really expect it. I mean, I felt guilty afterwards because it was such a, a blight on our listeners' mornings. Yeah, and, and one of the dear listeners uh, even commented that uh, since our episode wasn't in place, she needed an extra cup of coffee. <laughs> you know who you are, we salute you, and next coffee's on us, thank you. <laughs> yeah yeah that was that was Santa and she uh she was the one that actually pulled me up on it thank god because uh yeah without our lovely listeners I would have been completely in the dark about it I must have been asleep when I did that I don't know what I was playing at anyway Spider-Man and his sidekick you want to be Spider-Man's sidekick does he even have it does he even have a sidekick isn't his grandma's sidekick oh this is Aunt May I guess you can be Aunt May she used to be old, now she's hot. Whatever gets your groove on. I, I, I read an article recently, right? So someone was complaining, slight Spider-Man tangent because of the intro. Um, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, his Aunt May was played by uh, Marissa Tomei. And I think that's how you say her surname. I've only ever read it. I don't know. Tomei. Marissa Tomei. Tomei. Okay, thank you. She is a very beautiful and, to me, young woman. But she's actually in her 50s. She just looks incredible. And someone pointed out, after, well, I read some commenters were complaining about the fact that Tom Holland's Aunt May wasn't old enough. She's exactly old enough if Tom Holland's Spider-Man is supposed to be in his late teens, early 20s. She's absolutely old enough to be his auntie. And that made me think, well, what the hell was going on with the old Aunt May? Why was she so ancient? Like, she must have been a great aunt or a great, great aunt. So the problem really is not with Marissa Tomei, did you say? Yes. It's with the old Aunt May. So, uh, unfortunately, Marissa Tomei's character is now dead. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Um, but that's a shame because she was really cool and I would like to have seen more of her in a Spider-Man franchise. Anyway, moving on. Uh, today is a mailbag episode, right? Yes. Yes, 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 yes. And we have some... I like these episodes. I, I know you like these episodes. I like them too. I like the energy that they get from us both just naturally because we're so excited to be asked these questions. And we have a really... Exciting, controversial, a very timely one to start with today, and it comes in from Mike in Amsterdam, must be one of your crew via Instagram. He says, you have discussed the Moonwatch quite a bit on the show, but I'm curious to know what you think of the Moonshine one they launched recently, and do you think we will see more new additions? Now, this is the big news of the week. By the time this episode airs, the announcement will be exactly one week old, I believe. And we are talking about the first limited edition Omega Swatch, Moon Swatch, produced using some Moonshine Gold. So, Alon, why don't you tell us what it's like to look at and what you think of it? 
Okay, so I find it very dangerous to call it a limited edition. They made a limited batch of the chronographs seconds hand that is gold plated with the patented alloy moonshine, which was made by and for Omega. They took the regular uh, moon version. So it's the gray case, black dial. So the most classic moon swatch there is. They gave it a gold plated hand, the central hand for the chronograph. And, and that's it. Um, they only launched it in four cities, Tokyo, Zurich, Milan, and London. The story goes that it is because these four cities have a connection with gold. They produced one batch of these hands when it was a full moon in February. So they made it a very beautiful story, but they're still not available online. They made it actually more limited than sadly widely available. Uh, for me, it's uh, actually a marketing gimmick. I hoped they would add a new planet or a new model and not go the limited route in which they did now because we obviously knew what happened in the first time around. And initially, they weren't sure to make them limited or not. They were um, actually blown away by the responses and, and then what, what it caused. Uh, they actually sold one million pieces They've said themselves. So if you think about that, it's quarter of a billion turnover, extra for the Swatch Group. So I'm not jumping for joy. I hope they would make it more democratic, more available. They only charge 25 Swiss franc extra. So it retails at 275 Swiss francs. That is decent for some microns of gold and this, especially this moonshine gold. But yeah, will we see more pieces? I do think so. I think this is a little teaser just for Watches and Wonders like they did last year. So I'm very curious to see where they're going to take this. What do you think, Rob? You know, that's not just quarter of a billion turnover. I would say that that's a huge amount of profit in there as well because, I mean, these moon swatches can't cost much to actually produce once you press the go button on the conveyor belt machines. Um what do I think? I kind of like it, actually, weirdly. I think that the 25 franc premium is is fair enough and a pretty nice amount to have charged. A, a lot of people expected they would charge much, much more. Many people speculated they would be charging double and really milking the cash cow. But no, I think that they've done, um, done the following quite a solid. The limited release strategy around the world is going to annoy some people, of course, but I mean... Swatch clearly doesn't care about that. The initial release of the Moon Swatches caused a great deal of discontent among followers when they couldn't get them for retail for many, many months anyway, and they weathered that storm. And yeah, I'm I'm, I'm all for it, really. Is, is it an exciting release? I mean, it's quite underwhelming. It's not unattractive. The Moonshine Gold goes well against the grey palette of the mission to the moon. But yeah, I'm sure it's the first of very, very many iterations we're going to see using this canvas because there's a huge amount of potential i think that we could take it in a couple of ways we i don't know we we as in the the uh the royal we there it could be taken in a couple of ways it could go into deeper space so you could have iterations based on things that we know exist out there in the cosmos like the pillars of creation for example or even some of the telescopes themselves that are floating around 
photographing all this stuff. We could do constellations. You could have like the Orion or the Cassiopeia, for example. You could do stars like Sirius. You could do galaxies like Andromeda. So you could do that. Or I kind of like the idea of going down a bit more of a novelty route and doing like planets from, I think I mentioned this before in a previous show, like planets from Star Wars or planets from Star Trek or some great sci-fis in the past like these distant remote lands and having things like a hoth or an endor or a tatooine etc etc so i think that would be really cool to see and i think that that could lead to some big money team-ups big money licensing deals with hollywood production companies etc etc and i think that everybody would would lap that up what do you anticipate seeing in the future in terms of limited editions so i'm i'm totally with you and i agree with you i think there's so many cool routes to travel and go down and um I've, I've been reading up while i've been listening to you so they did keep a loophole open so swatch indicates that it might come up for sale again during the next full moon so that's obviously going to happen so i was curious are you going to pick one of up of these if you can i'm gonna ask you a question i'm not going to chase one i'm not going to go crazy crazy i was really lucky to get one of the earlier moon swatches when they were first released and I I got the Neptune, but I didn't like it very much, so I gave it to my brother. I didn't like the blue. It was too bright. And I recently bought a Jupiter when I was on the road, and I was just in Geneva, and I was walking down the street, and I noticed, oh, there's no queue outside this store, so I'll go and have a look. And they had a few pieces. They had the Sun, Mars, Pluto, Jupiter, and Venus available. And I was like, great, I'll take the Jupiter, and I put it on a brown leather strap, and I've worn it a few times and I've quite enjoyed it. I, it was one of my least favorites when it was released, but it now is absolutely my favorite one of the bunch. And I don't need another one. And the Moon standard version is is cool, but never really grabbed me, I think, because it looks too similar to a real Speedmaster. That's honestly why I, I was less attracted to that one. Some people may use the same logic to say it's the best. I actually think in a way it's the worst because if you're going to have something made of bioceramic, in my opinion, you should really get something that looks like it's made of bioceramic. So like the Uranus or the Mars are the best, maybe, in my opinion, in in, in that term. I just think that they, they maybe go a bit too far for me to actually wear regularly. This new one with the moonshine hand, it's nice. And if I happen upon one, I would probably convince myself it was worth buying just to have because... I'm not often in any of the four cities in which it's released, but we shall see if it goes on more general release and it's available in other areas that I travel through, then I might pick one up, but similarly, I might not. I'm, I'm not too, I'm not too stressed about it. I think that the way to approach the moon swatch phenomenon is to have fun with it and to not panic and to not scrabble around for these pieces, especially not if you're just planning on flipping them. Just wait, take your time, enjoy the hunt. I did. I loved going into stores and being turned away time and time again because I knew that the one day that I found a piece that I wanted in person, it would all be worth it and it would feel like a real accomplishment, which is hard to get for 250 francs, you know? That adventure is really what I am looking for when it comes to hunting down these models. So, yep, um, we'll wait and see, but uh, if I come across one in real life and it wows me with its beauty i might just have to pull the trigger after all you want one yourself definitely not and you asked me which one would i like i would love obviously an orange one i like the colored one so i think they're fun i think you i i thought i totally agree with you that you should take it lightly enjoy it it's fun that's what swatch is about 
Um, obviously, a big shout out and congratulations to Swatch because they celebrate their 40th birthday on the 1st of March. So kudos to them. was a nice uh, trip down memory lane for myself. I put a little post up that I've actually literally been wearing and collecting Swatches for four decades because I was four when I got my first one in 1983 and uh, never stopped loving them, wearing them and collecting them, including Moon Swatches. Uh, I, I kind of expect a big bang with this moonshine because was their 40th birthday. Maybe this is just a prelude. Uh, I think there's way more to come for Swatch this year. So let's see. I kind of know they were going to tease the Watches and Wonders organization and launch something during that week. Mark my words. Well, that'd be interesting to see because I'd love to see some more releases throughout the year because this one is fine. And, you know, it's a bit eye-rolling for some of the people that were expecting a full moonshine colored case or something like that it's like oh a hand great whatever but i would like to see more and so far swatch has made not as big a deal out of its 40th birthday as i would think most brands would although the thing that popped into my head was oh thank goodness they're not milking a 40th birthday because from a company's perspective that's not a huge deal but it is only 10 years away from swatch being half a century old and that really amazes me in some ways. You know, I think about this oftentimes from a sporting perspective when I I look back on all the Super Bowls that I've seen now and I realize that I've seen much more than half of the Super Bowls to have ever existed. And the fact that Swatch will become half a century old within touching distance now feels like we are living through history and seeing like, it develop and grow and change in front of our eyes. And obviously we're all doing that all the time. I know that, but it's just these marker points that remind me of it and make me very grateful to have been around to see the success of that company and what it did for our industry in general. Because of course, unless we forget, if it weren't for Swatch and the genius of Nicholas G. Hayek, then we might not be here talking about luxury watches at all. Totally agree. So thank you, Mike, for your question. Um, let's see what it will bring us this year. Very exciting. So next question, Rob, for you from Worky. He used the contact form and he asked us, have you guys recorded, will you be recording a Watches and Wonders predictions episode or is that a bit cliche now? You know, I love it when people discover the contact form for the first time and they just use it relentlessly. We've got only about 10 or 15 people that contact us via the form. Nearly everybody contacts us via Instagram or even WhatsApp or email these days. But the contact form still gives me a little thrill when I see like a new submission pop up because we love our website. We're really proud of our website. If you don't, Use the website to listen to the podcast. Go check it out. It looks lovely. And um, thanks, Waki, for using the contact form and making me feel justified in spending time building that thing. So, so Waki, to answer your question, have you guys recorded? Will you be recording a Watchers of Wonders predictions episode? Or is that a bit cliche now? I think we definitely will do a little bit of prediction. I don't think that we will spend too much time on it. I don't think we're going to dedicate a whole episode to it because it's a bit far reaching. I would like to chat to Alon at length about what we hope to see and what we think we might see. But big news from Watchers and Wonders from the real-time show's perspective is that we will be recording live on-site 
with the brands that we're meeting, we have 38 meetings lined up at the moment. Alan, I hope you are feeling good and fresh and healthy and full of stamina because it's going to take some. Well, I have 38 with you, but on top of that, I have at least 25 more. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you're a retailer. <laughs> and and we're still counting. Yeah, we're still getting PR agencies and brands messaging us to come visit them for the real-time show, not even as a retailer. I'm not talking about those. So we might need to split up even more because we're not doing all of them together. We're, we're actually splitting up. So, yeah, we, we need to figure out how we're going to do that. But But on topic of predictions, I, I agree with you. We could do a bit. But I don't like all these mock-ups and these Photoshop watches, especially these Rolexes, because they're done so well, they could actually look like Rolex issued them, for example. And it kind of confuses the consumer and those that are not hardcore watch nerds. So I actually get requests for watches of mashed up pictures. I mean, that's that's pretty cool that people actually reach out to you thinking those watches are real. But I love it. I think it's great because, well, I know what's real and what's not most of the time i'm occasionally suckered in on april the first like many people i'm sure but it's good to see what could be and people do it so well these days it's nice to dream and you never know it might inspire a brand to do exactly that in the future if it's desired by many people i'm sure rolex isn't taking any cues from the masses but i think they should every so often um maybe we should pick up the predictions just before watches and wonders is due to commence so i'd say waki listen out in a couple of episodes time a couple of mailbag episodes in the future we will just do a quick run around some of the brands we're visiting and some of the brands that we're looking forward to seeing and give you our predictions in a bite-sized format all right i got a good question for you alan this is from christopher one of our more frequent commenters and a great supporter of the show he says and i know this because i've seen it on instagram he says i'm currently doing a challenge in which i'm wearing the same watch every day for a month i've chosen my arcanaut dark matter and i'm loving it wearing the watch so frequently is actually increasing my attachment to it what i'd like to know is whether you both could see yourselves undertaking the same challenge and if so which watch would you choose to wear? So, tough one, two-part question. Alon, could you do it? And if you did, what would you do it with? Wow, wow. Good question. Interesting, actually. And it's actually interesting that he's getting more attached to it because it could be that you lose the the stardom of your watch. Um, I've done it once. I've worn a Tudor Black Bay bronze for a month and I made a patina diary. So I took a picture every day for 30 days and post it on my Instagram stories. I think it's somewhere up there in my highlights still. I don't think I've ever done it again. Well, actually, while I was studying in the US, I had one watch with me because I was a student and traveling light and didn't have a safer whatsoever. So I've done it then. And otherwise, yeah, maybe we should think about it, Rob, to do it, you and I, maybe for a product review or something. And I would like to do it with a watch that I would never put on my wish list myself and, and then see if it actually grows on me or if I really come to the conclusion that um, I know why I didn't put it on my wish list. What about you, Rob? Well, I'm curious. What kind of watches would you not have on your wish list that you might 
choose as a candidate for this challenge? Are there some popular models, like something from Rolex that you just don't like, for example? I guess something with Roman numerals. That's something that puts me off. Um, let me think. I don't know, actually. There's not much that I don't really like, but maybe I don't have Breguet's besides a vintage Type 20 on my wrist list. So maybe a Breguet, for example. I don't know. Like a, tra- like a tradition. Maybe, yeah. Although a tradition is stunning and, and could make it, but I'm not such a fan of the decorating of the sides of the case, the, the French style of uh, Swiss watchmaking. Mm-hmm. So what about you? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, I, I mean, I, I, I think the answer to the first part of the question is probably no. I don't think I, I, I could or, or would do. I mean, I could do it, I suppose. It's not the hardest thing in the world. And there are certainly circumstances, as you mentioned, like if you were traveling for a long period of time, uh, that it makes sense to only have one piece. For that reason... I mean, if I was to approach this challenge, I would be thinking, well, what's the most versatile thing that I could wear for the entire month? And that would have to include a watch that I could wear during sport. So not just like a steel sports watch, like a luxury sports watch like my Antarctic, which is where my mind goes initially because I'm like, well, okay, I suppose my favorite watch is my Chapek Antarctic. So I guess that's the one I would choose, right? And then I thought, well... No, because I don't like running and a watch with a bracelet at all. I prefer to run with a watch that has a rubber strap. But I don't want to wear one of my Casios for the whole month because that's no good for, you know, events or going out for dinner or even just from a general enjoyment perspective, that would be a bit of a letdown. So I thought, okay, what's my favorite rubber strapped watch? And that's my Glassator original chronograph, the orange dial one. But again, totally inappropriate for sport because that's a, you know, full-on luxury timepiece that shouldn't be worn that way. And then, working backwards that way, I ended up thinking the Laventure Submarine in bronze with a black dial and a black rubber strap is not only the watch that I have worn most since I got it, but the watch I think is probably, and strangely, given the fact it's bronze, the most versatile watch in my collection. And perhaps because it's bronze and it doesn't really go with any other type of metal that I wear, like gold or silver or anything like that, it, it can stand on its own two feet. It has a, a FKM rubber strap, incredibly comfortable and a, a good weight for sports, not too heavy, not too light, reassuringly robust. It has a good water resistance, capable of surviving anything I can throw at it. I don't mind if I knock it around. And to be honest, even though I've worn it extensively, and in many, many different situations, kayaking, climbing, running, caving, I've actually never dinged it. It's one of the few watches that hasn't got a scratch somewhere or other. Today, I'm wearing my Nomos Glassiter Zurich Veltzeit, um, the Hague Blue Edition that we did with Fratello. And the very first time I wore that, I whacked it into my mate's shower and put a huge scuff on the lug, despite the fact I've never really taking that watch into risky situations. It turns out the bathroom of a friend was was too much for it. But the Laventure survives. Just it it abides. The Sumerian abides. I so I would go for that one because well the proof is in the pudding as we say and as you like to remind us that we say I have worn that watch more than any other and I think that that one would probably be a, a handy little companion for a month. Yeah. Interesting. Let me flip the tables on you. Since we always see the glass half full and you and I are both positive and maybe even opportunistic, let's hope 
one of the brands listens to this episode, what watch would you really want to wear for 30 days as a trial? And I'll go first. I would love to do the Grable Force, either or any of them. What about you? God, that's, um, that's a tough one. So you're saying that I can have anything I want for a one-month trial? Yes. Do I have to apply the same rules or criteria that I applied to my choice when answering Chris's question? No, just shotgun. <laughs> All right, man. Okay. You know, well, I actually have an answer off the top of my head, which surprises me. I would love to wear the new Laurent Ferrier uh, Grand Sport Tourbillon that we looked at uh, on the show not so long back with the sort of rose gold salmon dial. Yeah. I have very little experience with Laurent Ferrier's watches, and he was a great guest, very insightful, very wise man to have on. I think it was episode six, way back when, back in the early days of the real time show. He graced us with his presence, but his watches have never graced my wrist, and I would love to get to know what the wearing experience of one is like. So, yeah, that that would be surprisingly. I had an answer right off the top of my head, and uh, it's not a brand that I would say I lust after particularly, but I am super curious, and I would love, love, love to try that firsthand. Lovely pick. That's also high on my, on my list because I've handled quite a few law affiliates, but it's usually during fairs or meetups and you don't have the, the, the peace of mind and, and also the moment to sit down and literally absorb how refined and well-made it is. And if you don't have the right lighting also, and that's why this challenge is actually perfect because you have different settings, different light, different outfits, um, and you can sit down by yourself nobody interrupting you and literally absorb the beauty of it. So good pick. Yeah, it's a nice question as well, actually. Uh, I don't often think about things like that. Maybe I should think about it more. I'm sure, actually, if we asked Lauren Ferrier, he would probably lend us one for a month if we wanted to try it out. Maybe we should. That'd be nice. We're seeing him in, um, in Watches of Wonders, so perhaps we could bring it up then. Okay, next question. This is from our good friend Moritz in Glasseter, a watchmaker himself. He says, and this is a long question, okay, Alon, so bear with me, okay? Tune in, pay attention. Here we go. What do you think about the obsession of some people looking for little mistakes on watch dials or movements, like small scratches on hands or their bevels, tiny dust particles on screws, and stuff like that? As a watchmaker, I love the thought of a perfectly finished and cleaned watch, but I'm also realistic enough to know that it isn't always possible. So, if there is a tiny hair of a watchmaker visible through my case back, but only with a 10 times magnification loop, that's totally fine for me, because it shows me that it's done by a human being, and we, as a species, aren't perfect at all. But I have the feeling there are guys around only looking for failures to show them to the public to put the brands in a bad light. They look for hours in different angles and lights for tiny scratches with their loop, or they push the correctors or push pieces with their muscles so fast until something goes wrong only for writing in a watch forum that if something doesn't work, it isn't worth the money. In my opinion, a corrector, as in a, a pusher, he means, is for correcting and a pusher for pushing and not for hitting with the most power you can manage. What do you think about it? And when does a small imperfection become a failure? Have you guys heard of such people? I would love to hear your thoughts about that from the perspective of a watchmaker and a dealer who has to deal with customer service. All right, that's it. That's the question. So it's a long one, but it's a good one because it's obviously coming from a place of massive experience 
personally from Moritz, and he wants to hear what we have to say from our respective walks in the industry. So I'll let you go first as uh, the retailer who has to deal with customers. Maybe some of these people described here could be called tire kickers. Uh, what do you think? They could be called tire kickers. They could be called a keyboard knights that that like to uh, spray negativity online. But when you meet them face to face, they're uh, a nice little kitten and they purr. Um, it's very interesting, uh, Morris. Thank you so much for your question. I, I think we could say that it's interesting that you sent in this question because you are a watchmaker at a Langes and Inglasut. So you are at the pinnacle of hotelogerie. So I think we need to dissect your question and, and state, is it a criteria or does it annoy you for any price point? Or do you say, hey, past a certain point or for a particular brand, it's not acceptable? So honestly, if I would buy a my first Langesson, a Langesson, which I don't have still yet, but it's on my wish list, and I would find a hair that I could see with a bare eye or with a loop, I wouldn't expect it from Langesson. Would I get annoyed? No. But would I send it back to get it out? Yeah. The problem is we've been conditioned by the watch brands that it's so meticulous and so well made that these imperfections are not acceptable. And that and that's maybe a self-fulfilling prophecy the brands created themselves. So on, on the topic of the particular uh, hair issue, I would find it an issue. If it was a little scratch or whatever, an imperfection in a hand-finished, beveled part of the movement or the case, I wouldn't mind that much because it's the Italian's way of tailoring, right? A little imperfection in stitching shows that it's handmade. So that analogy would go maybe for watches as well. What I see in store as a retailer and online, um, some people suffer from symptoms of OCD. I'm not, I don't want to call it out and say people have OCD because it's obviously a big issue. But people that appreciate fine watchmaking have a fine eye. They see details. They like it. For example, many collectors that I know are either dentists or lawyers or accountants or work on very specific little things and therefore they have a very well-trained eye. So that could annoy them. But the most critique we get in store is deviation obviously of timekeeping so the biggest chunk of complaints go there but on a hair every watch that we had with a dust particle or hair inside yeah it's sent back so it is a big issue but again i think the the, the watch industry created that issue by showing dust free ateliers and a lot of machines and Maybe it should be said that it's not a blue chip room, right? It's not a silicon dust-free room. Many watchmakers' ateliers are temperature and dust controlled. But yeah, it is made by hand. And sometimes you could spot an imperfection or something inside your case. So those are my two cents. And I'm very curious, Rob, what you think as a watchmaker and how you've been trained. Well, yeah, it's... um difficult because every case is its own saga i mean there are times when people really push it too far with loops with extreme magnification and pointing out uh, flaws as moritz sort of outlines 
uh, and it, it's just not fair. You know, there's there's only so much you can do with a material the way things are made. You know, I've I've even come across people putting a brushed finish of a case under a microscope and complaining about the fact that the striations which result in the brushed effect aren't parallel with one another. And it's like, well, of course they're not. That's you know, that's not how you you brush a case, and that actually more of a misunderstanding of what the finish should be or how it's applied than it is a flaw but then those people in question have taken that analysis and shared it with the world as if they've discovered something nefarious about the watch which isn't fair at all to the watchmaker or to the product itself similarly if you get a high polished surface and put that under a microscope you'll often see plenty of micro scratches plenty of them in fact more than you would expect it, you you almost could not believe that the surface appears polished to the naked eye and at normal magnification when you see it under a microscope so i think that you do have to really work with the naked eye when it comes to your own qc failures and then it comes down to what bothers you and what doesn't now i'm very much a fan as i've said in the past of damage that i've applied to watches myself i like the patina of life and i enjoy the wear and tear that my watches endure from being on my wrist with me through it but there are some things that really do wind me up and things that i would complain about let me just go through them off the top of my head one thing that pisses me off more than anything is unevenly applied loom now i love loom I love a good, bright, and consistent glow. I invented a term years ago called loom homogeny, which is used to describe and rate the performance of the dial loom versus the performance of the hand loom. And the latter is almost always better because that loom is hanging in state between a backless frame of the hand in most cases, whereas the loom on the dial is printed against a solid surface and thus does not have light coming through from the backside and is dulled by its background now i have one watch from casio which has terrible loom applied to the hand it is the first generation Modmaster, one of my favorite casios one of my favorite watches for being so far ahead of its peers in in the field in which it was designed for um in the field for which it was designed and the hour hand has like a dead spot like a line across the middle of the hand which is visible it's not a hugely thick line doesn't really impact the function at all but the fact that the loom is so thin there and appears to be almost non-functional when the watch glows up winds me the hell up another thing that gets my goat is little dots and specks and pips on polished indices polished indices are really really something you should avoid looking at under a microscope in most cases oftentimes like if they stand up on the dial if they're applied the sides are very rough but don't look very elegant at all and sometimes because they're pushed out of like a little frame like they're either laser cut or stamped and then like the last little bit has to be snapped off there, there's often a little pip or a little um confluence of material towards one side where it's been pulled from its original frame hate it i absolutely hate it once i see it i can't unsee it and it annoys the hell out of me and some really good watches suffer from this and most people probably wouldn't notice it with a naked eye uh, but i kind of look for it because i've seen so many of these things under microscopes when i'm working on them myself like that 
when I'm working on it myself, that does annoy me. Dust can annoy me, but it depends where it is. It depends how much it gets in my way. I, I bought a, or traded for a few years ago, a Panerai uh, 1945 Radio Mir, and there was tons of dust under the dial. Tons of dust. I sold it since to a guy that claimed he couldn't see any dust whatsoever. So I was like, okay, well, fine. As long as you're happy with it, that's cool. But I'd warned him about it. I said, look, you know, honestly, it needs to be taken to Panerai and disassembled. And that annoyed me. That was really obvious. I could see that from like a meter away without a lube or anything. So, you know, that I think if you see that, by all means, send it back. I mean, these are luxury products. If something bothers you about them, something reasonable, timekeeping wise, or like a big hair or some dust, then yeah, by all means, send it back to get it cleaned up and to get it fixed. But as Moritz says, there are some things that either are left in during assembly or during service by accident that are so minuscule and so unobtrusive that I can live with it just fine. But there are also things that come about because of like wearing the watch. So eventually you will expect to see some dust or grime inside a watch, either from swarf of parts that uh, has been torn off or chipped away over time because of impact or just general wear and tear. You will see things like dust that maybe was trapped between the dial and the dial side of the movement migrate through the date window and end up on the dial. Like, okay, it shouldn't be there in the first place, but if these things do happen, maybe oil has jumped out of um, the jewel cup and has run around the movement somewhere and coagulated and dried and chipped off. And, you know, those things happen as well. And I think that as customers, we have to, as Morris says, appreciate that this is still a human craft. This is something that someone has done, a machine that has been made and a machine that can itself degrade over time through no fault of the maker or the brand. And to take that information and then to rubbish the brand name or to detract from the watchmaker's reputation is wrong. That's just not fair. It's not constructive. It doesn't make you big or clever to have misunderstood the product that you've purchased. And I think that that really needs to be treated very carefully. I wouldn't want to walk down that road. I would really only call out a brand if, for example, I'd bought a product I wasn't happy with and I'd sent it back more than once for the same issue and it kept coming back unsolved. That I think you could complain about quite quite readily, but you have to be aware that when you buy a very fine machine tuned by a human, there may be issues every so often, but as long as the brand and the watchmaker themselves is willing to own up and say, okay, we're really sorry about that. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll have another go. Then that's fine, in my opinion. And that's what counts most when it comes to reputation. Thank you for that. Um, long monologue, but I like listening to it. And I agree with you. The, the tests for, I call it civilians, so consumer, should be the bare eye. And I say that also with diamonds and jewelry. It's very cool to look with a loop and then you see the detailing. But the ultimate test is what do and don't you see with the bare eye. And the best thing is just daily use on your wrist, the watch, and then does it bother you? Yes or no. And on topic of the naming and shaming, if that's your spiel and, and that's what's about, that's not my cup of tea. So no more. It's the, I'm, not, I'm not such a fan of it. Always give a brand or a watchmaker at least two attempts to correct its 
flaws, and I'm saying this in quotes, yeah, air quotes. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for your support, and please keep them coming, your questions, Maureen. So, Rob, I'm actually very curious to see what you think of the new Blancpain, which was launched actually a few weeks ago, and we got this question in, but we have so many questions. I think we missed that one. So Yap from Breda sent me on WhatsApp. Just very simple. What do you think of the new Blancpain? So he's referring at the 50 Fathoms Tech Gumbesa. So that was launched a few weeks ago as a uh, big anniversary. I think it's to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the 50 Fathoms. 50, 50. That's how the uh, Americans say. And for those that are not that familiar with either that model name or the term, um, they, they confuse it often with phantoms, but it's spelled F-A-T-H-O-M, which is a unit of length equals six feet, um, which is 1.83 meters, and is used especially for measuring the depth of water. Hence, it's a dive watch. Yeah, it is a dive watch. And what a dive watch. I mean, it's an absolute beaut, in my opinion. It's one of the largest watches at Blancpain has ever made at 47 millimeters wide, and it has this proprietary lug system. Well, I suppose in some ways you'd say it's, it's lugless or it's at least lacking dual lugs. It has like these little posts or flanges on either side of the case and a lovely form-fitting flowing rubber strap attaches either side of them and uh, runs into the wrist really nicely. I've worn a couple of these tech pieces at Blancpain, and I have to say that despite their gargantuan measurements on paper, they wear really well because of this lugless case design. And it looks so much like a traditional dive computer on the wrist, like a proper dive tool that I have nothing but love for it. I think that the execution of the design is superb. The luminosity on the hands and on the sapphire bezel, which has that quintessential dome effect is absolutely on point like i said before about loom homogeny this is one of those watches that you can rely upon having good loom homogeny it has excellent depth for an otherwise very simple dial thanks to those 3d numerals and it is technically rather special so you'll notice that the bezel itself looks a bit weird okay so unlike the bezel on conventional divers watches the bezel on the 50 fathoms tech gombessa has a unique three hour scale and it is linked to a special dive time hand that completes one full rotation of a dial in three hours. Now you can see this hand. It's the long black one with the sort of wedge shaped loom tip that goes all the way to the bezel. It's not the second hand. That one's got a typical triangular shaped tip. This one is like a big wedge about the same width as one of the intermediary hour markers. And that is a very special feature that we are not used to seeing at all. So, to stand out on the water, a white luminescent coating with green emission was chosen for the bezel markings and the three-hour dive time hand and the sweep seconds hand. All of them are of paramount importance to a diver. The Tech Gumbessa makes it possible for the first time, and this is really important, to measure three-hour dives. Now, they're quite rare, but for a professional, they are less rare, and this is clearly a professional tool. It is absolutely designed to meet those needs of extreme divers, people that are in the water for long periods of time. And I love it. I love it. I love it. What about you, Alan? 
I find it cool that Blancpain is back on the scene again. I haven't heard much from them or about them. Sadly enough, I think it's an amazing brand. It's elegant, obviously revived by somebody we admire, Jean-Claude Biver. I recommend listening to episode two of The Real Time Show. We touch upon Blancpain in that episode with him. Um, I, I, you know, I don't like lugless watches, although I think this works well. So it's nice to see that they went contemporary. It is contemporary if you look at the case, the strap that goes to the case, the numbers, which I'm not a huge fan. I love fonts, but I don't like these fonts. But they are 3D luminous material. So that's cool. There's no frames. There is not a numeral frame which is filled with luminous materials, superluminova. And we've seen that, I believe, for the first time with the Tudor Black Bay Pro last year doing Watches and Wonders. And they did orange, which I love. But then there's a style break where they use the old font for the 50 Fathoms, which is a bit too much. And then you have the Blancpain logo, which is also a bit old school. So there's a lot going on there. They work with two types of loom. So orange on the hands and numbers and the greenish loom on the bezel. I wish they made it matte, the bezel, the black ceramic bezel, instead of uh, gloss polished. I don't like these ceramic bezels that are cut out and then filled with luminous material, especially on two watches, because you can knock it out. Um, so that, so that I love the, the logo on the case on the side, I wouldn't have done it. I don't know what the added value is for that, but between the, the seven o'clock and nine o'clock, they wrote Blancpain very big, but all in all, I'm happy they're back alive and kicking. And as long as they're kicking, that's great. The price will kick you up the arse because it's Swiss franc 26,300. So that's a bit steep in my humble opinion. But happy it's titanium. Grade 23, what's that, by the way, Rob? Yeah, good question. I've seen grade 5 and grade 2, but grade 23? That's, I guess, something we need to research. Goodness knows, yeah. Okay. So you see, guys, we don't know it all, and we're very honest to say so. Chris, edit that bit out. (laughs) 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 Grade 23, eh? Bloody hell. What's whatever next? Whatever next? Whatever next. Thank you, Yap. We appreciate it. Please keep them coming. And actually, we'd love to hear what you think about it. So whenever you guys send us questions about a particular watch, please let us know if you like it or don't, what you do or don't like about it. So, Rob, going from one end of the spectrum of new watches launched, Ola from Brussels sent me on LinkedIn. Um, a question about the Timex watch that was actually released yesterday or today, which is the Marlin Subdial Automatic in 39mm. He asks, what do you gents think of this watch? And what do you think of Timex in general? Well, that's an interesting question. I wasn't expecting that. Um, what do I think of Timex in general? Uh, well, I have no desire to own any mechanical Timex at all. I like the old Iron Man digitals, you know, the ones that used to rival the Casios. You remember those with a really nice luminescent dials? I like those a lot. I, I, I'm not really into the brand aesthetically in any way, but I do like the fact that it is doing a lot of its work in America, right? It's, it's really bringing back manufacturing to American shores. So I have respect for it. Not my kind of thing. What about you? I actually love Timex because um, 
when I went to the US, I fell in love with the Air Jordan 1, which I've said many times on air. And that's where I discovered Timex for the first time, because you wouldn't see them in Europe, right? So back in the day, it was really, really, really low end. And I remember these luminous dials. They made a bit of mil-spec-ish watches. Funnily enough, the first Timex I've ever bought was maybe two or three years ago. I got the Ace Snoopy collab because I'm still waiting for my Omega Snoopy. So obviously I need a Snoopy because my favorite cuddle was a Snoopy when I was a baby boy. So I have a deep affection for Snoopy. So hence, I want a Omega Snoopy. So that's the only Snoopy I have now. One on my wish list is actually the Giorgio Galli watches. So if you guys have never seen or heard of them, Google them or go to timex.eu or .com. Um, the model is called S1. For 450 euros, you have a beautifully designed watch. I think it's really, really out there. So if you want to stay below 500 and want a design watch and you like either Nomos or even a Grand Psycho or something vintage-y but with a contemporary twist, check them out. And I'm actually thinking of getting one of those. Have you ever seen an S1? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Certainly not in person. So that that's funny because it's it's actually a watch for watch geeks and hardly anybody knows about this watch or the existence of this watch. So I think Timex is very cool. I hope they gain popularity in Europe, Olaf. And I'm very curious what you think of the brand. And going back to your initial question about the newly launched watch, for 200 something euros, let me just double check, 280 euros. I think you have a cool retro. Uh, it's a bit of a casquette-ish vintage 70s inspired case. Automatic movement. Why not? I mean, do you want another moon swatch? Or why not give Timex a chance? So that's my two cents. Fair enough. I defer to you on that one. That's uh, a nice... Uh... Nice way to put it, I think. Yeah, who needs more than one moon swatch when you don't have a Timex in your life? So I have one more question for you. One more for today's show, and I want you to take the lead on it. It's from Richard Swords, again, our f <laughs> first and most avid contact form user. He says, I have a 2006 Rolex Explorer 2 white dial. However, I have no interest in selling it. However, I want it to maintain its value as well as possible. I bought it new and, to my shame, have never had it serviced. My question is, what do people need to take care of when sending a watch in for service? You hear about watches being overpolished or having hands replaced, and I was wondering what your opinion is on this. Now, Alon, you are obviously in contact with customers who are sending their watches back to manufacturers for service often, and have you ever encountered situations where they have been surprised by some of the work undertaken on their watch, and what kind of advice can you give our listeners about that? So thank you, Richard, for that question. Very interesting, uh, very valid. So up until a few years ago, brands did not pick up on the trend that the vintage market or the resale market wanted unpolished watches. So in their view, watches always need to be brought back to pristine condition. So therefore, they would swap over everything that is 
worn down or not functioning properly anymore and cases and straps will be polished. Since the market started demanding more and more and collectors not to touch their original parts or bring the strap or case back to original state or in a polished or satinated finish, um, we would always indicate that very strongly. Now, today, brands finally realized that, the majority of them, or the brands that we work with, and they ask as an optional service when they send out a price quotation if they should polish, strap, and case. Now, talking about hands, that's a big issue. So, let's say a hands, the hands of a watch have luminous material in them. At a certain point, they will become brittle, they'll fall out, and they're not qualitative anymore. And we're not talking about patination. So when they say it could fall out and go in between the movement or whatever, it will damage the quality or reduce the quality of the watch or the timekeeping, and they will swap them over. So me, myself, I don't mind it. I don't mind my watches being brought back up to par. I will buy vintage watches that are polished. I will, I have, I have a pre-moon moon watch. So from 67, I did not have a choice then to swap the hands because it was all gone. The bezel is faded, that I left. So it's a bit of a mishmash, but I don't care. I wanted a dirty dozen RAF timepiece for a very long time. My mom is called Sima. So I was very happy when a Sima, C-Y-M-A, which is spelled different than my mom's name, came across it was at a good price. Obviously, it was totally touched up, but I didn't mind. As long as it's uh, discounted in the price or it's taken into account, I don't mind. And then you've asked to keep its value as well as possible, then I think we should split it. There's emotional value and there is market value. So if we take market value into account, don't polish them, have them serviced by an authorized Rolex service center, so if you come from a perspective where you want the market value to be as high as possible and you want to maintain your, let's say, Rolex watch or whatever brand, bring it to a authorized service center, work with only original spare parts, don't have it polished. That being said, there are new technologies out there. We service Patek Philippe watches for over four decades, and we work with the authorized Dutch service center for Patek Philippe. We usually bring the watches in person to that atelier, which is not in Amsterdam. And they nowadays have a new technique where dented or watches like yours, Rob, your, your well said that you dung, ding, dung, I don't even know how you say it in the past tense, um, on the first day you put it on, those dents you can't polish out. So today they use a new technique that they laser on steel back on to fill the gap, and then you can polish it, touch it up, or satinate it and bring it to a natural state. So we have collectors that brought in quite some Nautilus 5711s in stainless steel that were rather worn, and they've chosen to touch them up by the official Patek Philippe Atelier. So Patek Philippe obviously authorized that process, and if we are commissioned to sell these watches as a CPO dealer, we do specifically state that they've been touched up. So I guess that it's very important to be transparent. Um, I always make the comparison with a secondhand car. So when you 
have it maintained, make sure the, 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 the booklet, the service booklet is uh, kept up to date. And back in the days, I don't know if you guys remember, they would stamp the book with the date and what they've done. With watches, they kind of do it watch brands. So uh, Breitling back in the day had these physical books and they would literally stamp every service they've done. Um, which I think was cool. Today it's all done digitally and they do a lot of stuff on the blockchain, which I salute. I'm a big fan of Web3. So I hope, Richard, that answers your question. Um, Rob, I'm very curious what your point of view is on these topics. I will just keep this one brief, uncharacteristically, and say it's important to make a note of your desires if you have specific desires when you drop your watch off for service, it is not unavoidable entirely that mistakes will be made when a watch goes back to even an authorized service center. But if you do write clearly that, for example, you want the case to remain unpolished and you want the old hands to be retained, for example, and you don't want to exchange the dial or you don't want to exchange or upgrade any components in the movement, that makes it more likely you're going to get what you want. I have been on the other side of it as a watch servicer. And while I have never personally made the mistake of refinishing a watch that was requested to remain unfinished, I have seen it happen firsthand. And I can appreciate just how devastating emotionally that can be for the owner of the watch. In some cases, the particular instance I'm describing was a watch that had been worn by a man killed in a motorbike accident and the accident had left its mark on the watch and his widow had sent the watch in to have the movement repaired so that it would work and so she could wear it but she didn't want the case to be touched because she wanted that um, memento I suppose I don't, don't really know what to call it but she wanted it to be as it was on his wrist when he died and that was missed somehow it was in the paperwork it was noted was missed and one of the case polishers brought the case back to life remarkably um it was almost impossible to believe that they were able to turn that around but the uh, the woman was absolutely devastated and it was really horrible so um be careful to make those notes don't assume anything uh, be as clear as you can be about what you want and fingers crossed that'll be enough in future to ensure that you get the service you require all right that sews things up for this show that was another good one and interesting to touch on the latest news about the moonswatch release at the top of the show if you want to get in touch with us and join in with all of the mailbag fun, then you can do so via Instagram. I'm there at Rob Nudds. That's R-O-B-N-U-D-D-S. Alon can be found at A-L-O-N-B-E-N-J-O-S-E-P-H. Or you can contact us via email, either rob at therealtime.show or alon at therealtime.show. We will be back next week with another exciting mailbag episode and welcoming another guest to the studio. Until then, stay safe and keep on ticking.